Well, thank you. Um, just glad to be here this morning. Looking forward to what God is doing. At the same time, uh, some sobriety about what's going on in the world and the message that's most fitting for the time. I want to share with you something that the Lord has put on my heart. We've been going through the series of prayer, fasting, and giving. Um, this is a, a message on giving, uh, but it's going to take a little twist that's a little different than probably what you were expecting. Uh, let's take a few minutes. We'll pray. Father, I want to thank you for the time when we can recognize Jesus as uh, our Lord, our God. We thank you for the security of your promises and the fullness, Lord, of your presence. We know that without you, we can do nothing. But Lord, you said that in you, we can, we have, yeah, with you, Lord, we have the strength to do all things. So, Lord, I just want to pray right now that, God, that you would open up this opportunity for us to be able to share your word. And for those that are listening, for those that are taking time, Lord, and hungry to hear from you, the Lord, that this word will speak directly to their hearts. Lord, we recognize that this is an hour that we don't need encouragement. We do want it. But, Lord, what we need is direction. And I just pray, Lord, that you will provide a direction for those, Lord, who are wondering. Lord, those who are confused. Lord, even for my brothers and sisters who believe in the gospel, they trust in you, Lord, but they don't know what to do at this moment. Lord, the direction of this time. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that we're not giving specific directions. We're giving one special direction. And, Lord, I thank you that giving is such an important role and a part of our hearts. And so, Lord, right now I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will awaken us and draw us near to yourself. Lord, you are the comfort in our hearts. Lord, you've always been our comfort in our best and in our worst. We will trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So right now we're looking at a world of chaos. I think we're beginning to recognize that men and women are being laid off and losing their jobs. So they're struggling with their finances. Some of them are struggling with their marriages because they're used to being apart. And, and not only being together now, but with um, stress. And so with that stress, people are struggling. We have right now unemployment claims that are being overloaded. So I was told the other day that there was over 10 million people um, filing for unemployment. There's unparalleled stress in families and marriages, economic unrest and collapse. That what we've known in our economy isn't the same as was at one time in our life. And so we want to remember that this is, the, this is the environment that we're preaching the gospel in. I'm reminded that this is what I'm sharing the word of God in. And the next thing is the fear of what's next. And also death tolls rising. So in many ways, we're begging for hope and encouragement. We're praying that in the midst of this, somehow we can see this change. We're praying that the death tolls will drop down. We're praying in the United States that uh, we'll see 
less and less of the coronavirus, and we'll see the economy begin to rise. So we're praying that somehow that somebody will be giving us hope. And yet, it's funny because if you're searching the media and you're looking at the media right now, you're realizing they're trying to give us hope. They're trying to tell us things that they really can't predict and they really don't know anything about. And so I don't think really very many of us are honestly investing our hopes in what is being said over the media. I hope not, because we recognize that there really isn't anybody in control of this. Not any one person or authority, not our government, not our world leaders. There is much in distress as we are, and probably more so as they're trying to figure out what to do in these times. Charities, organizations, and then to help people in time of need. But I want to give you what Jesus spoke about and his thoughts on giving. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives us what I would consider one last blow in his time. I want you to remember that in John chapter 15, Jesus was... Already keep in mind that there was a time of uncertainty also. Jesus was also in his untime of certainty. He was headed for the cross. Think of the significance of that. And the disciples were headed for their darkest hour. So Jesus was no stranger to, in a sense, the conditions and the difficulties that we're facing right now. And so... We want to think of right now, what would Jesus say to our country, to our nation, to our president, to our leaders, to our families, to our workers, and to those that right now are struggling with their jobs, that have no income but have bills, that are wondering whether they're going to get a relief package or not, uh, wondering if when they file for unemployment, if they're going to have money coming in. It's been such a change. Those who are struggling in relationships with their families, their children, and in so many ways they're wondering what to do at this moment. And at a glance at chapter 15, I want you to look in verse 13, John chapter 15, verse 13. In the midst of what Jesus knew was to be faced, what he knew was coming, The, the Messiah of the world, the creator of the universe, the one who set the stars in space. He had his own message for his disciples at that time. In verse 13, he says this, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus wasn't asking them to give money. He wasn't asking them to give property. He was, he was telling them, he was calling them to give him themselves. And he was reminding us that this is where love lies. This is the gift where love prevails. So when you think of that, I don't know about you, 
But when I think of that, I think that would be hard for me. That I'm about ready to face my most difficult time. I'm going to go through my greatest trial in life. And that the hope you give me is to tell me to give my life. So maybe some of you can't see the relevance in that. There's no relevance in the encouragement department as far as that scripture is concerned. So you're going to realize that Jesus, his ultimate goal was not to encourage his disciples. Jesus wasn't trying to help them come to the realization that life is going to get better for you. In, in many ways, Jesus was beginning to point them as he got closer to the cross that things as you have enjoyed it, being near to me, being a part of my ministry is not going to be the same. And when I'm taken away, what you've been living for is about to come to an end. How many of us can relate with that right now? How many of us are realizing that so many of the things that we have trusted in, hoped for, enjoyed, some of our conveniences, and some of our needs, it's beginning to be stolen away right in front of our eyes with not much to do about it. And so Jesus was telling his disciples, as you're facing these dark days, you're going to have to give your life. So how does this help us right now? Thinking about, you know, if Jesus is saying this, and he's not giving us encouragement, but he's giving us direction in the same way, how would giving my life really help me at this moment? I think one of the things that we need to think about is because in the circumstances and outcome of things that are out of our control, the last thing we need is false hope. We don't need what everybody else is telling us that they really have no authority over, trying to give us their idea of hope. And so we realize that sometimes a greater sacrifice may be required in, in our time. I want you to also remember that the reason why this is important is because gospel peace doesn't follow world peace. If you are safe in Christ, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, not only as a personal Savior, but you follow him as your Lord, and he's the guide of your life, it's strange how you found peace when nobody else is finding peace in these circumstances. Why? Because the things you own aren't what possess your heart. The things you have aren't what's keeping you together. Even in my life, I feel like through this situation, my wife and I have experienced a greater unity. Because in these moments, we want to pray. And I'm thankful for the prayers of my children who every day they say, Dad, when you go to work, fortunate enough to have a job right at the moment, when you go to work, we pray for you. And every day I feel a sense of that grace and touch of God upon my life while I'm at work. The last thing is the urgency of this time is naturally calling us to greater sacrifice. And self-preservation only keeps us or keeps that from happening. So the more we as individuals are trying to preserve ourselves and take care of our own selves, in some degree we need to do that. But we realize that shouldn't be the ultimate direction. The first place or the priority of our life is to make sure that everything is well with us.
So let me read a few scriptures to you in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Just right back to what Jesus was saying to clarify some in the scripture. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And Luke chapter 17, verse 33. Whoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whoever shall lose his life shall save it. These scriptures are really important when it comes to serving Jesus right now. For those of us who name the name of Christ, have you come to Christ and become dead? Dead to yourself? Dead to the world around you? Crucified with Him? So that you can live every day of your life, whether it be with wealth, whether it be in poverty, whether it be in suffering, or in joy. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Are we calling that in question now? Everything was easy. I remember in the scripture that Moses was warning the people. He said, beware when you come into the good land which the Lord your God promised that you forget the Lord your God. When things are good, we often forget the Lord. We're not as serious about prayer. We spend more time in entertainment in front of our phones and in the media on our television, than we do with God. But now we're being checked. At this moment, I don't think that very many of us who are considering this seriously feel the same way about any of those things. So God's direction in this is not to hoard, store up, or self-preserve. It doesn't mean that those things in some degree aren't important. But God's direction is not for us to focus our attention there. Because there it's selfish. There it is, doing it so that you make sure that everything is secured for you. But how could we truly, in love for Christ, watch our neighbors perish while we were continually storing up? So God's direction is to give your life. We're trying to preserve our life, and God's direction is to give our life. And doesn't that seem strange? What a contrast to what's going on right now that my life is not my own. <laughs> but what are we giving our life to? What is, what is it that we are trying to direct our life for? We're trying to direct our life to Jesus. We want to serve Him. We want to make sure that He's the end for which we live. You know, so many of us, I don't know if, if you're hearing this new or fresh for the first time, but for so many of us, Jesus has been the means. We wanted Jesus to bring self-fulfillment, happiness, blessing, restoration to our life, and that Jesus was the means by which we could get that. And so really the end was self-gratification. The end has been for you and, and for what you wanted in life. But Jesus is the end. And so when we read these scriptures, that Jesus telling his disciples to give their lives, to lay down their life one for another, and he was sharing that, that was, he was going to be the first one to do that. He's, he's showing us that the end for which we are to live is Christ. So many of us have been 
spending our time trying to build up our properties, spending our lives working to pay off our homes, and now all of that seems like it's come to an end. Or if it's not come to an end, you don't know if you're going to be able to continue to do it. And I wonder right now what you're thinking. I wonder what you're going through. Because you realize that everything that you had planned in life, and, and basically the end for which you were living, is, is, its dream is coming to a halt. Or it's definitely slowing down. I wonder if right at the moment you realize that these dreams were set on grounds that you couldn't depend on. You couldn't plan one day or the next. But when Jesus was saying, make me an end, he was telling his disciples that what you're about to go through, I'm going to be with you. And that not only from the, for their life, they weren't looking for self-preservation. They were planning on serving God to the end of their days. They wanted to make sure that before they died, before they stood before him, that they had lived their life from beginning to end in faithfulness to their creator. And friends, I don't really see, I don't really see us as a nation improving. I don't see the situation getting any better. Even when we pray to God, if the attitude of our hearts is not to protect our nation and restore economy, but to serve, if we're not, we're not having the, the purpose of our heart is not to serve God, not to make sure that he's the end for this whole thing. Because so many of us need to repent. So many of us need to let go of the things of the world and the things we've trusted in instead of Jesus. So God's direction for our life and giving our life, I think the first thing we would say is, is that there's a call to this nation and to the world around us to confess our sins and to repent. The second is to let Christ be the Lord of your life. I wonder how many of us have been Christians for so long and Jesus is not really the Lord. He's not really directing our decisions. We're not calling on to him for the things that we're deciding, the debts that we're getting into, the lifestyle that we decide to live. I want to bring up one more story here is the story of Elijah. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 17, I would like for you to take a time to read this chapter in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 17, we see the story of Elijah in a time just like ours. As a matter of fact, this is a little bit different because Elijah was the man who was the center of this chaos. Elijah had prayed that it would not rain for three years and six months. And the Bible says that God gave him his request. Now, when he was praying this, he was praying himself into the same sufferings that everybody else would be going through. He was praying himself into the same difficulties that the world was going to come into. But I think that when we look at this story of Elijah, that as Christians we've got to realize what's paramount, what's most important right now. At least as far as God is concerned. So when we read through this chapter, we see that he prayed for the famine. So people were going to go hungry. I'm certain that people had died. 
many people had died. And God had commanded him after he prayed to be fed by ravens and to drink from a brook. So his lifestyle was changing. I don't know how many of you would think about what it would be like to wait on a raven to make sure to bring the food to you. But I'm sure in a time of famine that you would take anything that you've got. And then after this, when the brook dried up, the Lord had commanded him to go to a widow to be fed by her from her last meal. So it just goes from bad to worse. And then the final tragedy that takes place with Elijah is is that that widow's son dies. So I'm sharing those things because I want you to realize in the Bible we have depicted, and not just this story, but so many others, the same difficulties, if not greater than what we're going through right now. But Elijah shows us the way we should be, the attitude of heart toward God in these situations. And so, why would a man of God pray devastation upon a nation? I'll tell you why. Because his heart was jealous for the glory of God. He wanted God to be lifted up, and he'd watched the nation of people turn to idolatry, serve their own dreams and plans, and live completely disconnected as if God didn't even exist. And he saw that the immorality and the sin and the evil that was a result of that was too far too more devastating than to pray that there would be a dried up um, and a, the, the there would be no rain and that the brook and the water would dry up. To literally shatter the economy of his day. So how many of us in an essential way have been praying that God would do something in our world to get people to realize that the creator of the universe is more important than anything else we know? How many of us have felt that pressure on our hearts? How many of us in prayer closets, in times with God, have felt that need to be so close to God that the thing that was concerning us is whether God is being robbed of the glory that He deserves or whether people are getting the life that they wanted to live. So in this story, God gives him a raven or a couple ravens to feed him and he drinks from the brook until it dries up and then he goes to the widow woman and she says to him, I'm about ready to make my last meal, and then after that, we're going to die. That sounds pretty depressing. It's a very dark time. And yet Elijah says, go make your, go make your, your meal and give me the first of it. And after that, God will make sure that your, your oil never fails and your flour continues to be uh, given to you miraculously. So she was miraculously supplied during this dark time of famine. And then when he was faced with her son's death, instead of being discouraged by it, he was so close to God that he rose her son from the dead. He prayed for him, and he came back to life. So really, in in this story, what we're seeing is, is that 
God's main goal is to bring glory to Him. The second thing we see is, is that when we choose to make sure that God is to be glorified above everything else, our first intention, our highest priority is to make sure God is glorified above everything else. That God does miracles to assure us that it is the most important. He gives us the blessings behind that. So, so many right now are doing everything they can to restore economy, but really what we're trying to tell you is the most important thing is you restore the honor back to God and let God take care of our economy. Read over and over again in the Bibles and recognize how much God brought difficulty upon a people who would not yield who would not repent, who would not surrender to him. But also look at when they did, what God did to bring restoration back to them. So the end of this story is, is God going to get all the glory out of your life? I want to say this, true repentance and a coming back to God always leads back to restoration. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we've never been faced with more of a difficult time than this when our homes, our children, whether they're going to be fed, um, whether our jobs are going to last, whether we're going to see any money come in. We don't really know where this could go. I mean, we have ideas and we could imagine. But the reality is, is that's important. But the most important is, are you right with God? Is your spirit right with the Lord? And this is as much for the church as it is for anybody who's not uh, a child of God, who's not a Christian, because in so many ways, Jesus has been the cover for the things in our life that really haven't been right. And so this is a matter of getting back to God, not just praying, but making sure that he's, he's your heart's desire and that you're willing to live for him no matter what happens. In the end, I think that it's amazing what God's doing. I'm thankful for what God's doing in my own home, for my family. You know, prior, just prior to this, there was things that the Lord was doing also. But there's something about how this is an added emphasis. And, and for me, the ability to be uh, closer to my family and even in a way closer to the church as brothers and sisters have come together, prayed together, fasted together. We've found the Lord already moving in ways that we never dreamed possible. And I think the thing that's the best part of it is is that I don't feel insecurity in a time of insecurity. And I think those of you who know Jesus right now know what I'm talking about. You know what it means to be near to the Lord and feel the, the peace that he gives. And Jesus promised, he said, peace I give you, not as the world gives. And it's not even on the same basis that the world gives it. So the important part is dying with Jesus, dead to ourselves, that we can be raised up with him. And this is, the, this is the message of the hour. I can't think of anything more important that we could be sharing with you than this. 
that Christ is our all in all. We may sing this song, but now it's time for the trial. It's time for the, whether that's the case, being tried by fire as though some strange thing happened to us. So we're constantly being tried at this moment, and we realize the trial of our hearts is, is anything else more important than Him? And I want to pray for those of you who are listening. I want to pray for those of you who are uh, considering and even at this moment, how this might be catching you. Because we have placed so many things above the Lord. We've been satisfied with everything else besides Jesus. We've managed to make everything a priority. We'll make sure that we get up on time and we have time enough to get ready for work. We'll make sure we have time to get out there and go hunt and fish. We'll make sure that when the sports television shows up, show up, which they're not the moment, um, that we'll be there on time. And so much of our life is consumed with work, labor, and entertainment that by the time it's all said and done, you know, going to church isn't worth my time. I, I want to make sure I have a weekend to myself, a time to rest. Well, do you want to stand before God with those excuses? Do you want to look him in the eyes after you've died and to stand before his judgment seat, having all these reasons why you've neglected him and put him aside? Do you really want to know what eternity holds for you? Do you want to face the consequences of a decision of making sure that the creator of the universe who gave us life and breath, who instilled in us, the strengths that we have, the physical abilities, the health that we have, and, and own up to Him? Do we really want to look Him in the eye in the, the final day and know that as the Scripture says, it's once for a man to die and then to judgment? You know, maybe we don't want to hear that. Maybe we think that's, this is pretty harsh of God. But I think the reality is the harshness comes from us. Because the one who's given us all these things provided so much for us and yet we still push him back. You know, as if we love the gift more than the giver. And we love what he's given us, but we don't think about how important it is to admire, love, and cherish the one who's given it to us. And so if he had given me no gift, the fact that he is so great, he's worthy of my praise. And so if this hasn't been the consideration of your life, you recognize that you've been backslidden, or set aside, you, you just haven't really given God your heart, I want you to consider today, I want you to consider right now giving your life to Jesus. We're not talking about saying a sinner's prayer, not, you know, the old-fashioned altar call and just get up here and say the sinner's prayer. Ask, yes, we're telling you to pray and ask God for forgiveness. We're telling you to confess your sins, but there's more to it because there's a lot of people who get to the altar They'll pray in their living room. You might be praying at the moment and you're, and you're confessing or you would confess and you still won't forsake. You still won't abandon that old lifestyle and you still won't let Jesus Christ have his place and his glory in your life. You still will keep on doing the same things you do. And don't expect, don't expect the salvation of the Lord to fill your heart and your life if that's the choices you're going to make. If you want Jesus 
to save you from eternal destruction. But you're not concerned about Jesus saving you from a selfish lifestyle. Then it's a waste of time. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Repentance is a full change of the mind. You looked at sin, you looked at self-gratification in one way, you've justified it, you've rationalized it. Now you can't do that anymore. Because in light of the gospel, in light of the fact that God's main purpose is not to satisfy you, not to make your life happy, not to ensure that his plans for the universe is ultimately to make sure that man is happy. But that his design in the universe is to bring glory and worship to his name. And secondarily, to bring joy to man's heart. But primarily, is to glorify his name. So your happiness, I think ultimate happiness, is a contingency upon whether God is the most important to you or not. And maybe some of us have been going to church for an awful long time. And as we examine ourselves and think of ourselves in that light, we realize that Jesus Christ has been our main source of trying to get happiness out of life. And you want to be happy. And you've gotten happiness. Things in your marriage have improved. Your family's improved. You've followed the principles of Scripture. But the reality is that Jesus Christ is not Lord. And if you know that about yourself, and nobody knows it better than you do, this is a time to get on your knees before God. You know, the Lord says in James, in the book of James, to humble ourselves and to pray and to weep. And that the Bible promises that God will give grace to those who humble themselves. But he resists the proud. This is not a time for pride. This is not a time for us to exalt, that we're going to get strong, and we're going to be able to do this in our own strength. This is a time where we need to give ourselves to God. So let me pray. Father, I just want to pray right now for those who have listened. This is a serious time. Lord, these are sober moments for us, and we recognize in this sober time the seriousness of our hour, God, that we cannot begin and not cannot allow ourselves, we cannot afford to give one more minute away with a conscience that's not at rest with God, with the spirit, with our spirit and our heart not near to you. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you right now, Father, that you would move sovereignly over those hearts that have heard this word from my brothers and sisters, God, to even step closer to you, Lord, in these moments. Lord, I'm so thankful that in the scriptures that the reality is that there is no place that we can never get closer to God, the one who's given us life. There's an infinite, infiniteness to who you are. There's a, a length and a breadth, Lord, to your love, Lord, unknown anywhere else in the world, but, Lord, in fellowship with you and in unity to you. And, Jesus, I really, really pray right now, God, for my, my fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, to be in an attitude of prayer. Lord, we pray for fasting. We pray for those, Lord, who are in anguish over this country. Lord, we pray for those who are in anguish over the nations. Lord, who are heartbroken for the masses of souls now, Lord, having to give an account for their lives. And, Lord, beyond that, Lord, this trouble that we are facing, the natural troubles, Lord. And we just pray, God, in, in all of this, that our main goal, Lord, that the eyesight will be re 
given to us that we can see that our peace comes from the creator of the universe, the one who can call this to an absolute stall and stop, Lord, this in its tracks if we would just surrender, just yield to you, God. And I pray, Lord, for those who do not know you right now. Lord, I pray that their salvation, I pray that they'll serve you. God, I pray that they'll recognize the necessity is not to say a prayer only, but to pray and commit themselves wholly to you. And Jesus, this is what you told your disciples, to lay down your lives, to lay it down and give it to God. Lord, we were raised in a newness and a surrendered in a life for God because we've laid our lives down for Jesus Christ. Lord, it's not laying our lives down as, as if to die today, but it's laying our lives down for you, giving our life to you, Jesus. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for those whose lives are changed and transformed by the blessing and the work of God in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is, uh, I just heartily agree with what James has shared this morning and would love to just continue that challenge that it's not just a prayer that we pray, but the question is, am I following Jesus? That if, if I've prayed a prayer at some point in the past, we can, often people will say, you know, have you accepted Jesus? You know, oh, yeah, I accepted Jesus. I prayed when I was you know, 10 or whatever. But the question is, are you following Jesus now? And, and that's what I really feel as an encouragement and challenge for all of us, that we have this week to read through the, the gospel again, to remember who he is, who he said he is, and that as we do that, that we will pray and we will seek his face. That Second Chronicles 7.14 has become a theme verse for me in this time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So I, I totally agree that where we need to start is to humble ourselves and pray. The first sermon Jesus preached was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that same sermon we need to be hearing again today. And then as we cry out to God for mercy, he will answer our prayer and heal our land. This, this is the finest hour for the church. When suffering comes, the church arises. That we have opportunity to stretch out hands in prayer to reach out and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We believe in divine healing. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit being active in the world today. And we cannot do these things on our own strength. And so we need to call upon God, for his power is made perfect in our weakness. And the whole world is weakened right now. And so let us seek God. And here's some instruction of what I feel God has led us to do. This Friday at 7 p.m., go out in front of your house, maybe take a candle, get on your knees, stretch out your hands, look up to heaven, 
and pray. And cry out to God for mercy. Humble yourself in front of your neighbors and anybody who might pass by. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for this world. Pray for the sin and the wickedness to be done away with and that hearts would turn back to God. So we're going to do that this Friday. If you haven't joined us in fasting yet, I would encourage you to do so. If you've never fasted, start with a 24-hour fast. Eat your dinner tonight, and then don't eat again until dinner on Monday. Give up something. Experience a little bit of suffering in order to remind yourself that it is Christ's suffering that made for my salvation. And we're going to draw near to God like never before. And we're going to see God answer our prayers like never before. I hope this is an encouraging word to you. It's a somber word, but it's a challenge to join with God in what he is doing in the world and see him glorified. I love you guys. And please, if you have additional prayer requests, put them in the comments. Uh, after the service, we'll be responding to those things. Um, and then finally, on Easter Sunday, if you are here in Enterprise or in this county uh, and would like to join us, uh, we are not having a church gathering, but our governor has encouraged us to take walks. And so we're going to take a walk, and we're going to take our guitars, and we're going to travel and worship. So we're doing some traveling worship Easter Sunday, 10 a.m., uh, so drive in here to the church, and then we will all take a walk, not quite together, um, but we will uh, fill the streets with praise and thank God for what he has done. We will also have a sermon that will be uploaded that you can watch online, um, and then and I'll have some things to share to all those who are able to join us in person. Uh, but But this is a time for us to remember that God is still sovereign. Amen? I would like to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word, this challenge, and I pray that it would find good soil in our hearts as a seed finds good soil, that there is the first thing is there's an outer shell in that seed that cracks. Lord, that there would be a crack and a breaking of the shell of our lives that real life could emerge in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed, and we'll see you on Sunday. And pray on Friday night, 7 p.m., in front of your house, and cry out to God, and let's see the miraculous and wonderful things he does. See you then.